This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 2nd of December. And with us today we have a special guest, uh, technology reporter James Patel. Welcome. Hello. So James, back in April we had high hopes for the COVID Safe app that it was going to be kind of the answer to contact tracing in Australia and it was rolled out and it didn't really land the way at least the government wanted it to. But they're, they're releasing COVID Safe 2.0 this week. Can you give us an update on what happened before and what the new app, the new version of the app is promising? Yeah, Australia's sunscreen, right? That was the phrase back in um, April. I think it was April 28 that it launched. And at the time we were told it was the key to us being able to reopen and to be on, being able to live our lives. COVID Safe uses Bluetooth signals to exchange little packets of data with other phones around you using that uh, app as well. Yeah, it, it didn't land so so well. There were early concerns around the app not working so well on, on iPhone, not working so well when, the, um, when it was uh, in the background or the screen was locked. There were privacy issues as well. And although there were strong downloads in the, in the first few days, that sort of tapered off. Seven months later, we're now at 7 million downloads, which is well below that 40% target that Scott Morrison set back in April. How effective has it been, even with all those problems? Has it detected any cases? Well, we recently heard that there were 17 people not identified by manual contact tracing that COVID-safe was able to identify. We heard that in Senate estimates um, just a little while ago. As to how effective it's been, it's, it's actually quite hard to tell because we have very little data. We don't know how many active users there are. So that 7 million downloads figure, it's actually quite worthless because it could include a whole bunch of people who downloaded it and then deleted it or who don't have it actually running actively on their phone. Can we talk about the updated version then? What, what is, what's the tech community's take on it now? If people uh, have got the app or they want to download the app, is the new version going to address the concerns that were expressed at the beginning? I, I was speaking with the tech community recently, uh, shortly after the announcement of the update, and there was a mixture of surprise and despair, I think. Many of them had been working very hard to provide bug fixes and to point out problems with the app. And, um, you know, the, the very experienced senior members of the tech community, and they heard about the update through a news article. So there was a sense that, that they tried so hard to help out and then they'd just been sidelined. It's true that they had been, the D DTA had asked for feedback when they announced it, but, you know, the overwhelming response from the tech community was if we had been asked, we would have said, don't go with this system, go with the Apple Google exposure notification framework, which is also a Bluetooth technology system, but has been developed specifically by Apple and Google for contact tracing on, on phones that, that run their, their operating systems. And many other countries are using it now. And that's important for two reasons. I suppose that there's more proof that it, uh, there's more sort of testing of how it works. But also, if there is a global standard, it means there can be international contact tracing. And the great promise of that is that you can reopen borders, international borders, earlier. And so have you got any fix on the current changes, whether they'll make it more usable and more people will find it useful? The changes are about how the phones actually exchange Bluetooth signals. So it's a small part of the overall scheme. The DTA has taken a protocol called Herald from a third party, which is called VMware, 
it means that the phones, according to the DTA, are more efficient or they, they, they're better at prov- uh, exchanging signals. So before, you know, it didn't work so well on iPhones, didn't work so well when it was locked. They're saying those problems have been solved. They've found workarounds and so on. There's a big caveat to that, which is that in the past, those claims have also been made, but it's later been found out that there are problems and that the workarounds aren't perfect. You know, a, a much earlier version of Herald was something that the NHS in the UK were looking at using for their smartphone contact tracing. But back in June, they decided against that and they went with the Apple Google API. So um, no other country in the world is using the Herald system. So have we got any idea at all why they didn't go? What, what's the downside of the Apple Google system privacy? What, what's the complaint? That's interesting because I actually um, had an email from the um, government media liaison after my article went out and he reaffirmed that Australia has no intention of using the, the Google Apple approach. He argued that the problem with that approach is that it's, it's a, it only notifies the person if they've been exposed. It doesn't notify, notify central health authorities. So, you know, there's nothing to guarantee that the person's actually going to go and get tested. You know, he also argued that countries that are using this system, they also have a lot of cases. So there's no sign that, you know, it's been able to keep case numbers down. And that's true. I'd also say, though, that there is seems to be growing movement towards using the system. And there are some there is some encouraging data coming out. And the system is already being used internationally. So if you're in London, you can fly to Gibraltar and you don't need to download a new app. These two areas use different apps, but the, the apps can communicate with each other to to do contact tracing internationally. So, the, you know, the, the, there are clear advantages already. Well, staying in the tech space but moving away from COVID safe, we get a lot of questions from the audience about QR codes and what the purpose of them are. Can you tell us a bit about how well that is or isn't working at the moment in Australia? Yeah, it's amazing how rapidly QR codes have, have sort of spawned and spread through our lives. I was just thinking the other day, if, if you told me a year ago that whenever you went to a cafe, you need to give all this personal data to buy a coffee, I, I wouldn't have believed it, but it's rapidly become very normalized. And we've ended up with a system almost by default or through lack of planning where we have a bunch of private operators providing QR code check-in systems and we have governments now rolling out their own ones. So you have Service New South Wales, Canberra's got Check in CBR. The NT has actually bought Check in CBR, or not bought it, but they've taken it. Now in the NT, you'll be using a version of that. Uh, Victoria's developing its own, South Australia as well. There's kind of a dog's breakfast, a national jigsaw of all these apps. You know, and there's lots of privacy questions around that because. In the main, you know, privacy policies say we won't be using your data for marketing, for we won't be selling it. But some privacy policies, policies actually say we will be doing that. And nobody, nobody reads that because, you know, you're just buying a coffee. You're not reading a legal document. The quick question is, though, is it working? Because, I mean, some of them are very efficient. There's enough cafes uh, using it that when you log in, it gives you your name and it's literally five seconds and you're in. It feels very efficient. Absolutely. I think it's important to say, though, that automated contact tracing, which is the COVID-safe model, is meant to work alongside manual contact tracing, which is, you know, QR codes are just a tool to be used for manual contact tracing. A few weeks ago, we had uh, the chief scientist report and it recommended that we focus on both manual contact tracing and on the automated kind. A country like Singapore 
which is where we bought COVIDSafe from, they, they have automated contact tracing, but they also have a national QR code check-in service. Yeah, these systems are meant to work alongside each other. And the big problem is, this is a, this is a point recently made uh, in, in the conversation, that once you get too many case numbers, manual contact tracing is quickly overrun. And that's why you need the automated kind. I think it was once you get up to about a thousand new cases a day, there's just too many permutations of, of contact tracing to follow. So there's a role for both manual and the automated kind. And if there are lots of cases, um, the QR codes might not cut it. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you giving us your time. And that's all we've got time for on CoronaCast today. Uh, thank you. And thanks, James, from me too. And uh, a welcome announcement from WA yesterday that uh, they're opening their borders to New South Wales and Victoria on December the 8th. That's great news. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. And that's when we'll see you. See you then. Mm-hmm.